Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. It's great to see everybody once again. Shh. I hope everyone had a wonderful Yom Kippur. I will say this. Many of you, the last, time you've, the last two times you've seen me, I've been fasting. Right? Folks, today we break that trend. We're bucking the trend. Okay. Good. Let us jump right into our discussion. We are on page 22. We started yesterday. We started last week. However, we're still on the first page. Kind of works out like that sometimes. Last week we spoke about a lot of uh, important topics, including one that I want to pick up today and uh, elaborate on. The topic that we spoke about last week was the idea of looking at the cause versus looking at the effect of things. There are things that are causes and there are things that are effects. And if you really want to understand the nature of something, you've got to look at the cause and not the effect. The effect can tell you, excuse me, can tell you what the cause is affecting. In other words, then by looking at something's nature, you can understand somewhat of what it is, but it's still not exactly what it is. There's still what it is, and then there's what it does. If you want to use this, these, these terms, right? There's what something is, and what it does. For example, I walk outside on a beautiful uh, sunny day, and I look in front of me, and what do I see? What do I see? Huh? I see a tree. What else do I see? I see. Well, no, no, not yet. Not yet. You're jumping the gun. <laughs> How could you go to sun right away? No, I'm kidding. What do you see? You see things. How are you able to see things? Light. Oh. So there's light. Good. There's light. So you can't, you're not really going to say you see light. You see with the light. Maybe you do see light. I don't know. You see ray of light. Anyway, you see the light. Or you see with the light. Then, good morning. Then you know something. What does light tell you? What does the light tell you? The fact that there's light. It's day. It's day. What else does it tell you? It's not dark. It's not dark. Good. What else? Yeah. Sun. Huh? Sun. Uh, what? Sun. That there's a sun. It tells you about the sun, right? You see light, and you know there's a sun, and the light tells you about the nature of the sun. What is the nature of the sun, based on the fact that light em- emerges from the sun? What is the nature of the sun? Fire? To emit light. Oh. It's a source of light, right? In other words, you can look at, you can decipher what something is by looking at what it does. You can understand the essence, in a sense, of what something is by looking at the effects that come out from that thing. Right? Yeah, when they say do, you know, you tell your kids, do what I do, not what I say. You know, you're demonstrating who you are by what you do. Exactly. And by what you do, it's a great reflection of who you are inside. So, although, who can say that they truly, they're truly plugged into somebody's essence, but you can see by what they're doing, what type of personality they are, at least to a certain extent. Now, the problem with this is that it's not foolproof. Because if you're only looking at the effects, right, if you're only looking at the outside, you might not always get a very clear picture of the inside. You might, there are, you know, the point is that you, there are some indi- indicators but it's not the same as looking straight inside. And it could be that things happen that complicate, right? That, uh, I'll give you a story. You ready for this? This is a great story. That I think will really bring this out. 
And at what point do I want to bring out the ability that we have to misconstrue, to misunderstand the things that we see, and to then misinterpret, to then have a completely skewed notion of what the essence of that person thing situation is. Here's an example. Back in the day when the Hasidic movement was first getting all fired up, so the founder of the Chabad uh, Hasidic movement was, uh, was not universally liked in, uh, in the Jewish world. There were those that felt that there was a new movement, and what's with all this joy and happiness, and what's with... What is that? Dancing? The dancing and simcha? It's like, what? No, in all honesty, it was more... You know, there was a feeling... The Hasidic movement tore down a lot of barriers between the intellectuals and everyone, right? Baal Shem Tov went around, and, and he taught the power of sincerity. How a simple farmer... Reciting, you know, back in the day in Russia, reciting simple psalms in the five o'clock in the morning before you know going out to work in the farm is no less valuable than the advanced Talmudic scholar that's spending all day studying in, uh, in yeshiva or base medrash. There's no you know, God wants the heart, and it doesn't matter how much you know. It's really about where your heart is and what your where your dedication is. Anyway, so there was a lot of opposition. So there was anyway. Look, there were a lot of there was a lot of misinformation that was spread about. Chabad, about, and the, especially the founder of Chabad, which is known as the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Le'edi. One of the rumors that went around is that it was, you want to see, they, they called it a, a sect, or they called it a, a, a breakaway from, from Judaism, Chabad. They said that, what, and to prove it, it's like the Alter Rebbe himself, on Tisha B'av, the 9th of Av, which is a fast day, was eating and dancing with a woman. That's what they said. We saw it. What really happened? The ninth of Av that year was on a Shabbos. And when it's on a Shabbos, you push it off till Sunday. And the, 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 the woman that he was dancing with, the girl that he was dancing with, was his granddaughter. Because it was Shabbos, and they were dancing around the Biman Shabbos. So, now, of course, that was a deliberate spread of misinformation. Of course, we get it. The point that I wanted to bring out is that there are times that we see something and we totally miss the picture. Totally miss the picture. Again, and it doesn't have to come from a deliberate place. And again, in this story, it's not a perfect illustration. The story was there were those that were trying to, you know, slander or whatever, and they just came. Okay, but the point is that we have, it's possible to completely um, not get. I mean, how many times do we have in our own experience where you think you know somebody, or you meet somebody for the first time? This is the best. You meet somebody for the first time, right? And, and everyone has their, everyone has, I guess, what we can call their book. Everyone's got their book, right? It says, when this happens, this is what it means. When this happens, the, how they, right? How we interpret things. Everyone's got it. Whether you know it or whether you don't know it, you have it. Trust me. Take my word. Okay? You got something. When you see somebody, when you're in a certain situation, when something happens, there's a certain way that how you assimilate the information, how you interpret the information, and how you respond. How many times do we, in our own experience, do we meet somebody, do we encounter a situation, and immediately we fall into the patterns that we know and love, or the patterns that we're, or the patterns that we're comfortable with, and we size up a person, a situation, and down the line, completely different picture. Right? Down the line, you, you get to know the person, let's say a person, right? Down, a few months later, it's, what was I thinking? I totally, huh? 
Sometimes, sometimes. Leigh and I were discussing how um, shy. If anybody met shy over the last few days, so he's our, he's five weeks old. Anyways, um, but he's thank God he's a calm kid. So far, right. Please, God. Two, 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 as they say. All right. Can I know her? Anyway, so, so here's the thing. Here's the point. point is that Leigh and I were schmoozing this morning, I think last night, how, you know, even, even in the hospital when he was first born, he didn't, he wasn't crying. I mean, he was crying a little bit because I think they teach them in baby school that they have to cry. Like before they're born, like, FYI, cry. But he was, it's not like a want to cry. Anyway, it's more like, yeah, I just want to be relaxed. If I'm not comfortable, hey, uh, uh, type thing, uh, please, freaks out. Uh, hello. <laughs> I need something. Whatever, yeah, I need to lie down. I need to, uh, anyway. So what's my point? The point, and then we were, then Shalom, you know, Shalom, he's, he's got the long hair now, and he's zipping around. So, and he was like that. And then, huh? Looks like Mendel. Now. Mendel back in the day. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then Mendel had his, pers- and Nussin is his personality. So, it's, it's, what, what's the point? The point is that we were discussing how literally from, like, from the moment they were born, they have certain traits that carry through. And you can see, you can see, and it's amazing that you know, one kid is different than the other, and it's just, it's just absolutely different. So there is a certain, you, know, you can size up to a certain extent. But my point is, and that's what I said about light and the sun. You know, from the light, you can understand somewhat of the nature of the, uh, from the, somewhat of the nature of the sun. But we have to be careful. It's an exercise in caution. As much as we can learn, we can also confuse. As much as we can decipher, we can misconstrue. We have to be careful. What's, what's, where's all this going? As I stated last week, the, the point of this text is to really understand the essence, the core of feminine energy. And in doing so, to understand also the core of the masculine energy. To understand the pure energies of femininity and masculinity in their source, in their Kabbalistic source. That's the aim of this course, of this series, of this text. To do so, we're going to be going literally straight to the top in the spiritual uh, hierarchy, in the spiritual worlds. We're going straight to the sources, the way they are in the supernal worlds, in the highest world, the world of emanation, the world of Atzilut. We're going to explain what the energies are in those realms, and how they are reflected subsequently down in experience. And to that end, I gave homework last week, which we're going to, uh, which we're going to pick up throughout the series, which is to kind of come up with um, areas of masculine and feminine energy in our lives and experience, and then put it on those two boards. You see there's two poster boards hanging over the, the, uh, the deluxe fireplace? That doesn't really work. Anyway, so there's also there's post-its there, and there's Sharpies here. So after class, draw down. One of, we'll designate one for masculine, one for feminine. And just write down things, uh, words, ideas, feelings, actions that reflect one energy, the other energy. We're going to see how close we are to deciphering. Well, my point is like this. You know, we're going straight to the source, but before we get there, we're going to look at what Torah tells us about the feminine energy. Why? Because Torah is more accurate. Let me explain. As I said before, sometimes the indicators, sometimes the effects that we see aren't always the telltale signs of the essence of that person. 
or the essence of a situation, right? You see signs, you see something, and you say, oh, I get it, and you, you completely didn't get it. Why? Because you're looking at the wrong signs. Or you misunderstood them. Or maybe you're just looking at the wrong signs. You picked up the wrong things. When, what Torah tells us about the masculine and the feminine is pure. Torah means instruction. The word Torah is related to the word mora, or the word hora'ah, which means a lesson, an instruction, a teaching, a teacher. Torah is a teacher. So the, the, the qualities that Torah shares with us about women, about the feminine energy, are ones that we don't have to, be, we don't have to worry that, oh, maybe we're picking up the wrong signals here. No. The, the, the episodes, the stories that Torah tells us about women, about the feminine energy, are those that we're meant to study and meant to use to help decipher, to help get to the essence of what the feminine energy is. Does that make sense what I just said? Although, again, I'll just say it one more time. Although we have to be careful in realizing that the signals that we pick up in our human flawed limited experience are not always accurate when it comes to Torah and what Torah tells us about men and women, about masculine and feminine, that we can rest assured is accurate and is an indicator of what these energies truly are. So to that end, I want to share with you four episodes that Torah shares about women and the feminine energy. And I have that in this handout right here. Different than if you have the handout from last week, it's not going to work. That is so pre uh, pre Yom Kippur. I was going to say I was going to say fifty seven seventy one, but it was actually after Rosh Hashanah. It would have been nice, but all right. A lot of Torah, by the way, is the subtext. A lot of Torah is the story beneath the story, the story that doesn't automatically emerge uh, at first glance. What we're going to discuss today are various stories and also the subtext as described in the, Mishnah, in, in the Midrash, in the Talmud, and by uh, various traditional Torah commentaries. And as we'll see here, the existence of our people, the Jewish nation, is... Uh, anyway, you're going to see soon what uh, what happened here. All right, let's begin with the first episode called "Defy" that I've termed "Defying Decrees." All right, Steve, you ready? Take it away. Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, "Every son who is born, you shall cast into the Nile, and every daughter you shall allow to live." This is the famous decree of Pharaoh uh, at the height of the Egyptian slavery, at the height of the servitude in Egypt. Pharaoh says. The boys you throw into the Nile, the boys will be killed. The girls you can let live. The very next verse, if you look at the, at the, at the source, Exodus one twenty two through 2.1, Exodus 1 only has 22 verses. This is the last verse of chapter 1 of Exodus. The very next verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, states the following. A man of the house of Levi went and took a daughter from the house of Levi for a wife. Okay? So there's a Levite man who marries, who went, it says who went and married a Levite woman. Okay? They're both from the same tribe. There were 12, 12 families, 12 tribes. So there was, you know, each tribe had many different families, etc. So 
man, man from the house of Levi went and took a daughter from the house of Levi. Seems like a straightforward text. Does anybody know who this man and woman were? Moses' parents. The father's name was Amram, and the mother's name was Tzipporah. Amram and Tzipporah. Oh, Moses. Uh, Am Yocheved. Yocheved, I'm sorry. Amram, Amram and Yocheved. Right. Um, thank you. Amram and Yocheved. So this is the man, and this is the woman who got married. Says Rashi, based on the Midrash. Continue. He had separated from her because of Pharaoh's decree, then retook her as his wife. This is what it means that he went. He went and followed his daughter's advice who told him, Your decree is worse than Pharaoh's, for Pharaoh only decreed against the boys, but you are also decreeing against the girls. You see what happened? Amram and Yochever are married. They have two children. They have two children. They have a son whose name is Aaron. They have a daughter whose name is Miriam. Pharaoh comes out with his decree and says, boys that are born will be thrown into the Nile and killed. Amram and Yochever were leaders in their community. They set, they set the lead and they separated from each other. Not to have more children. Because we're having more children to be killed. Comes along his daughter, Miriam, and Miriam says, you, to her father, or maybe to her mother also, no, probably to him, he says, she says, you are worse than Pharaoh. Your decree, or your decree, not you, your decree is more severe than Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh only decreed that the boys shouldn't live. And you're decreeing that no one should live. Not boys, not girls. It's the end of, uh, of, of the next generation. Right? If your model is setting the lead, husbands and wives will separate. There won't be more children. So that's the end of the Jewish That's the end of, uh, of our people. Your decree is worse than Pharaoh's. What happens? The Torah told us. We already read what happened. A man from the house of Levi went, listened to his daughter's advice, and took, retook his wife, Yochever, and they gave birth to... Moses, who was indeed cast into the Nile, as per Pharaoh's request, and who survived, and who grew up and raised as a, as a uh, adopted child of the daughter of Pharaoh, and who ultimately led the Jewish people out of Egypt. We know the rest of the story. The, the Redeemer, of course God is the Redeemer of the Jewish people, but the human being through whom God delivered His redemption... Moses was only, in, as per this story, was only born because of a young girl named Miriam, who even though her, her parents had, this, had an idea and she, and she was a young girl, and her parents were, were great leaders in the community, she had the confidence, she had the, the, the determination, and she had the courage to speak up and, uh, and say it like it was. And her parents listened, and Moses was born. And the rest, as I said, is history. That's one, story number one. Keep that story. File it off to the side for, uh, for a moment. Let's look at the next story. Mirrors of desire. Okay? Karen, take it away, please. 
He made the copper urn and its copper base from the mirrors of the window. This is Exodus 38. This is after after uh, we left Egypt, after we received the Torah, after even the sin of the golden calf. Now the Jewish people were building a mishkan, a tabernacle, the precursor to the, uh, the holy temple, the sanctuary. They're building a portable sanctuary in the Sinai Desert. And the Torah gets into um, very great detail as far as what they constructed and how they built it and the materials that they used to make it. They made a menorah, a candelabra. They made an altar. They made an ark. They made uh, lots of different things. So we just read about the urn. He, he is Betzalel, the one who is the, the head craftsman uh, creating, building all of the items. So what did he, he made the copper urn and, the, and its copper base. What did he use? The mirrors of the women. That's what the Torah tells us. Kind of vague. the mirrors of the women, copper mirrors. I guess copper is good for a mirror material. Yeah, yeah, maybe, could be, huh? Okay, all right. You know what they say about mirrors? What's the difference between a mirror and a window? Right. What's the difference between them? Think about the significance, the spiritual significance. One you see out, you can see somebody else, and one you can only see yourself. What's the difference? One has silver. Got to be careful when we have stuff. Sometimes makes us only see. We're pers- when we're obsessed with the consent, but stuff we become a little bit more. Always end up seeing this. Anyway, that's an aside. So the mirrors of the women, but these were holy mirrors. Wait, wait, wait. But these were holy mirrors. These were very holy mirrors, as we'll see in a second. Continue, please. This is again Rashi's comment. But again, it's not Rashi. Rashi didn't make this up. This is traditional oral tradition passed down from the times indeed of Moses. Continue. The Israelite women had mirrors that they used when they were adorning themselves, but they did not hesitate to bring even these as contributions to the tabernacle. Moses spurned them as having been made for the purposes of the evil inclination. The Holy One told him, Accept them. They are more precious to me than all the rest. For by means of them, the women produced vast armies of Israelites in Egypt. Let's understand what just happened. Let's understand what just happened. Oh, we didn't get to, we didn't get to, the, to, the, to the story. This is the intro. I just want to stop here for a second. It says that the, that, the, that the Jewish women had mirrors, and they gave the mirrors to contribute to the building, to the, uh, to the crafting, to the creating of the tabernacle. Even the mirrors. Moses sees the mirrors come in as part of everyone was bringing stuff to, to, to contribute. Moses sees the mirrors and he says, No, it's not mirrors for beautification, for a, saint, for a temple, for God. Doesn't, it's not, right? It's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not appropriate, right? No, not that, not that it's, it's not code, but it's, it's not, I don't know, for the evil inclination, for beauty, for, 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 for physical looks, and that's, that's super, if it's too, yeah, it, it, it's too, it's too mundane. We're talking about a holy temple. This is a home for God. And Hashem says, I'm God. Right? Thank you for, for trying to figure out what I would want. But actually, as the director of this universe and this project, these are more precious to me than all the rest. Look, look at that line, huh? These are more precious to me than all the rest, no matter what anybody else contributed. Doesn't make a difference. What it was, gold, silver, whatever it was. There's nothing as precious, God Himself said, than these mirrors. 
It says, why? Because they were used for holy purposes. Let's, let's see what, continue. When their husbands were exhausted from the ruthless toil imposed on them by the Egyptians, they would take them something to, take them something to eat and drink and would bring along the mirrors. Each of them would look at herself and her husband in the mirror and entice him, saying, I'm better looking than you are. <laughs> not what I expected it to say. Now, it sounds like teasing, but it was more of a... Anyway, it was a different... Okay, you can do it. It sounds like torture. Anyway, uh-huh. better looking than you are. In this way, they would, in this way, they would arouse their... Husband's desire and conceive and bear children. I kept it that PG. Yeah. Dot, 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 over there. Anyway, continue. As it says, under the apple tree I roused you. So the words of our verse can also be translated by means of the mirrors, the women made armies. If you look in the Hebrew, right? means army. Right? Tsava. Army. So, but Maros Hatsovos can mean mirrors, but it also means through the mirrors, the women made armies. They built, in other words. The men, again, in this situation, were just too, they, they were finished. They didn't want to have children. The women said, ah, it's not going to happen. We're not gonna, Judaism is not going to die in Egypt. It's not going to happen. And so they, they took the initiative, they made it happen. And they built legions, they built the next generation. They took the initiative and built the next generation. You see what happened here? Moses is only born due to a young girl named Miriam. The next generation collectively of Jews, the generation, right, that left, that, in a sense, that left Egypt, or the, they were born because, only because of the initiative of the women. Let's look at another story. Episode 3. You, you see, these are the stories in the subtext. The, the Torah says, What does that mean? Mirrors. There's a story beneath the story here. Story beneath the story. Alright. Labor of love. This is also referring to uh, one of the, one of the um, acts of, uh, of creating or, or of, of, of work that was done to build a tabernacle. So it says that the women, or the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom, they spun the goat's wool. Okay? So in a, they had to create tapestries for, for the tabernacle. Was, there were certain curtains and whatever. So it says that the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom, they spun the goat's wool. Says Rashi once again. Look at this. They actually spun the hair, the goat's hair. They spun the wool while still upon the goats. Huh? I, I don't know. That's what it says. The, whose hearts inspired them with wisdom. In other words, they were, they were infused with this amazing degree of, 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 of... Craftsmanship is the wrong word. Skill. Skill. Unbelievable skill. Is that meant to be interpreted more metaphorically? No, no, no. This is literally. Absolutely literally. And the point is that when it's... Okay, I, I've never spun wool. I've never done it much with wool except for maybe wear it. But um, apparently, the... the, the, the if you spin while still attached to the goat, apparently it's softer. I don't know. There's something about it, the fact that it's still attached. You have to hypnotize the goat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to get a distraction. <laughs> 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 <All> right. Right. 
the girl says, bah. It's like, sure, it could be you today. Spinning, spinning, spinning. All right. Uh, it doesn't make sense. This is literal. No, this is literal. This is literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, I don't know how many, what does it mean to spin? No, no one's spinning. Put him on a, a lazy Susan. Woo! Yeah. And then you cut it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They weren't creating. It's not like they brought in the goat to hang the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awkward. <laughs> totally awkward, right? Bulky. Bulky. And also, why is the curtain moving? Oh, goat. <laughs> Stay here. Right now, it's. You always know where your goats are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, have you seen your goat lately? No, but the truth is that there were also ones that were for the ceiling, which would make it very awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why is your goat hanging from the top of the tabernacle? <laughs> the benefit was that it was a, produced a finer wool. Like cashmere. I don't. Again, I I can't break it down scientifically. Not even scientific, I can't break it down. Right, uh, but cashmere comes from not goats. Yeah, no, insects. But there's something finer about it. There's something finer about it, and they did it, even though it was extremely difficult. Because why? So what's the point of all this? No, they did something crazy. They didn't do something crazy. They did something profound. They did a profound act of love and dedication. They were contributing to the building of the tabernacle, a home for God. Said it's not enough that we just spin wool like everyone else. We're gonna spin wool goat style. I mean, we're gonna do it on the goat. This is like real, the real, the real deal. This is like we're giving. But this is our core. This is yeah. This is like this is like the spinning local. Ah, you like okay. Good. There you go. Oh, from the belly? The belly. That's, okay. Anyway, all right, good. So, you know, it's Kabbalah, coffee, and shmatas. So we have, it's, it's like a whole... Anyway, good. So this is it. This is what they did. Again, the point, I just extract this one point. The point is, what's the point? The point is the dedication and the love of the women in creating a beautiful home for Hashem. Now, let us take the final story. The final story. Revelation. Yeah. When the people saw that Moses was late... And it's Boshesh in the Hebrew. In coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron, and they said to him, Come on, make us gods that will go before us, because this man, Moses, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Remove the golden earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. All the people stripped themselves of the golden earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. That's exactly what I just said. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's break this down. First of all, the context. This is, again, we went back to Exodus 32. This is the sin of the golden calf. Moses helps deliver the Ten Commandments. Well, God speaks the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up to get the rest of the Torah and the actual two tablets with the Ten Commandments. He says, I'll see you in 40 days. Famous last words. 40 days later, he's late in coming down. We're going to discuss this in detail, why he was late 
Was he really late? Was he not late? What happened? We're going to get there in a second. And the key word here is, go- well, one of the key words is going to be the boshish. That's why I put it in the Hebrew. Um, anyway, he comes down late. The people, in the meantime, are like, Psh. Yeah, this was before Jewish time. Ever since then, we've been on Jewish time. It's like, if he's late, don't worry, wait for him. We don't want another golden calf. <laughs> Just wait. We expect everyone to be late after this point. No. Anyway, but, but Moses late, and they... Here's what the, the statement is. Come on, let us make, make us gods. Oh, they say to Aaron, make us gods that will go before us because Moses, psh, he's gone. We don't know what happened to him. Aaron says, again, look close to what Aaron says. Remove the golden earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Who is he speaking to? Who is he speaking to? If he says, if he says to them, right, them is vague. If he says to them, take off the earrings on your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Who are they? Who is he speaking to? The men. The men only speaking to the men. Good. Why? Why is he only speaking to the men? Why is he speaking to the men? Because the why is he speaking to the men? Because what's that again? They're the ones who were impatient. They were the ones that came complaining. So he's speaking to exactly, exactly. Uh, very simple. Right? They, the these group of men are now complaining. Whatever, they're, whatever they're doing. We're going to get the energy soon. Uh, we're probably going to go into focus more on next week. Anyway, but the men are 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 in this mode of make us gods, etc. He says to them, oh, get, get the earrings from your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. What happens next? All the people stripped themselves of the golden earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. Who, stri- who took off their golden earrings? Amen. The same people that we were talking about before, the men. It, he tells the men, it doesn't say, and the men took off doesn't say that the men, subsequently following Aaron's advice, took the earrings off this, the wives. That, right? It doesn't say that. It says they took it off themselves. Who? Who's they? The same they. We didn't switch days. So it doesn't mean themselves, like them wearing it, but yeah. themselves took it off. You know, I mean, themselves can have more than one meaning. They stripped themselves. They took their own, the men, I guess back then, uh, the, whatever. They, they took their own earrings or other jewelry that were on their own ears, the men's ears, and brought them to Aaron. See what happened? It says all the people. All the people, all the men. Yeah, yes, yes, all the people present in the situation. All of the people, the aforementioned people. This is, again, this is not my interpretation, this is the way it's understood as pshitos, as simply, as obviously, by all of the commentaries, all the midrashim, the Talmud, everyone, this is a, this, we know this to be the story. Again, you have the text, the written text, we also have the oral text, the oral tradition, which has all of the fill-in stories in, great, in much greater detail. The Torah is very concise, very short, shorthand. So the words, in, especially in English translation, you can, as they say in years, you can dina hina her, you can, you can break it this way, that way. The story is the story. Aaron tells the men, go ask the women, knowing that the women would never give. That's why he said, take it, ask the women. They went ahead and took their own. They found, they made their own plan, yeah. Is it thought that the men did go ask, or they knew also that they didn't go ask? That detail, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember if, I, if I've seen anything on that. Did they ask and get rebuffed, or they didn't even bother asking? I'm not sure. If they asked, so they would have definitely gotten rebuffed. To the point that our sages comment on this story... The women were not involved. The, collectively, there was not one woman involved in the sin of the golden calf. It was entirely a masculine sin, not a feminine sin. The women did not have any part of this sin. It was entirely and completely contrived. The initiation was men. The execution was men. The whole, it was all male-driven, this experience. 
We're going to get to that. That's exactly what this is. This is going to help us get to the essence. As I said before, when we look at all of these stories that are told to us in Torah, we don't have to be worried that maybe we're getting like a wrong picture, like a detail that's not so so important. If it's in Torah, all of these stories, and there are more that I didn't cite here because I just figured we'll stick with four. Four stories that can share that that help us get to that essence energy of women, and then on the converse, uh, on the other side, of men. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just I said before he said to take off the women's earrings. Aaron didn't want a golden calf to be built. Aaron said, "Go ask the women," knowing that the women would never give. He tried. It was a delay tactic. You see what happened? Aaron did not. No, I mean I didn't. I didn't say this detail specifically. I, I kind of assumed that Aaron was on Moses' side. Aaron was not about idolatry. Aaron knew that if he told the people, how dare you create, he would get killed. In fact, there was Hur, their nephew, Miriam's son, Hur, who stood up and said, what are you guys, are you create? They killed him. Yeah, they killed him in this frenzy of golden calf action. So Aaron, uh, Aaron did a delay tactic, knowing that there's no way the women would relent. The women would not. How did he know this? this again, this is another thing. Well, <laughs> that was a great answer. He had a mother and a sister. Aaron knew that the women would never sin with this golden calf. They, they would never go for this. They would never go with, um, honey, can I have your... Uh, your yeah, why? Uh, sure, no problem, but why? Uh, we're going to create an idol, a golden calf. Oh, really? Uh, no. No, you can, you can get out of the house now. I mean, like, what is this building a golden calf? Right, totally, totally. Right, exactly. Or worse. Um, out in the desert at this point, right? They're yeah, they're out in the desert. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, get out of the tent, more like it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing that stands out in all this is that, you know, I've always thought of that kind of subservience as part of all this. You know, the men were in charge and the women just were present. But actually, all these are examples of the women... Kind of taking that's, that's exactly my point. Yeah. We see, and uh, that's one angle. It's the, the energy is not, it's not really going to be a lead versus a following thing, but that's something that's, that's definitely a truth that's going to emerge. That the, the whole notion of, yeah, man, man, totally not true when you look at the story. The story is women were, the Exodus happened, Moses from, from Miriam. Um, the, uh, the fact that there was a generation to leave Egypt because of the Jewish women. Right, the uh, the beauty that was enhanced with the uh, with the tabernacle, women, uh, the the purity of not worshiping idols, and keeping uh, keeping idolatry out of the home. You, know, you could you know, do it around the mountain, but don't bring it into the tent, type thing. <laughs> right? Again, once again, the Jewish women. So again, this all of this exactly. So the, these are four stories that I that that we're starting with. Okay. Yes, for sure. Soon, 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 soon. And then also, um, you know, whenever there's an argument, there's often a flip argument. So can you use stories to make this argument about men? Are there, are there examples? There are examples of, of men that did wonderful things. Aaron did wonderful things, even though in this story he doesn't look so great. Moses did wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Many people did wonderful things. What I'm saying is, if you look at the, actually the key, if you look at the... 
So right, with key is not the right, it's not strong enough. If you look at the, since the essence, mm-hmm. it's all driven by women. In fact, I, I meant to quote this last one. It says, It says, In the merit of the righteous Jewish women were our forefathers, but really our ancestors redeemed from Egypt. In other words, it was completely due to the righteousness of the women. So, yeah. What, what strikes me about these stories is that the men sort of inherently knew that they should listen to the guidance of their women. Because if you think about Father it, listens to daughter. Yeah. Yeah, Amram, it's there wasn't a conflict there. He listens right. to the daughter. Yeah. Um, you know, the the same thing with it's there's a sort of a, an understanding that the women are right without a conflict. Right. That that's a hell yeah, that's a healthy that's a healthy reaction, yeah. Linda. Um, my question is, it sounds like in several of these that the modern mentality is masculine. <laughs> That there's a lot of that, there's a lot of that, yeah. And again, I, it, we're, we're going. The idea is that these are stories that kind of open up some 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 energies, masculine versus feminine. And again, we're going to use this these stories to kind of trace it back to the essence and see in, in the essence where these energies come from, Zamalchos, whatever, Kabbalistically, and then kind of see how that makes sense in all of these stories. But. There's definitely a, an energy there as well for the mob. All right, for the mafia. All right, let's... Um, that's, a, that's a different mob. All right. Uh, good. Let's hit some text. Let's hit some Kabbalah text. Page 22. We are... Let's begin in the middle. Where the par- third paragraph where it says, in addition. Stephen, you want to take it away? Thanks. In addition, we need to understand why Rosh Kodesh is considered a special holiday for women who observe it more carefully than We asked this question last time. The reason why I'm starting with it is because we're about to give the answer, which is then going to bring up more questions, but we're about to give the answer, so let's, it's good to have the question before we give the answer. Um, he, the question that he's asking is, regarding Rosh Chodesh, last week we explored Rosh Chodesh in depth. It's the first day of the month. It's not of the Jewish month. It's not just day one. That happens to be the first day and therefore is, you know, the head of the days. I mean, the, the leader of the days. But rather, there's an energy in Rosh Chodesh, the head of the month, that contains the energy. It's a collective energy that contains the energy of the other days of the month. So, we know in Jewish law, we know in Jewish observance, Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the Jewish month, is connected with women, specifically more than men. There are women's groups that meet, that study, that do various activities. Women have a custom, many women have a custom of, of diminishing work on that day to observe it as a mini holiday, to cut back in some area of work, to kind of uh, mark it as a holiday. We find these observances specifically for women and not for men. All of this is going to connect. All of it is going to connect. But that's not the classic reason that's given. The classic reason that's given is the one that we're going to read. Steve, continue. The reason for this is that they, the women, did not agree to hand over their jewelry to their husbands for the making of the golden bag. Okay, so here we have the answer. They did not agree. So it sounds like they were asked, and they said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding us? Right? So it says, so, and, and this comes from, you see, for note six, Lavush. This comes from classic sources. Okay? The reason why women 
have a special holiday of Rosh Chodesh is because of the act of not giving over the jewelry to, the, to their husbands for the golden calf. In other words, for not participating in the sin of the golden calf. Continue. In this merit, the Holy One, blessed be He, rewarded them with Rosh Chodesh as a day to observe more carefully than men. All right. So here we have it. In addition, uh, for those of you that read, that read the introduction, you, you can find it there as well. In addition, it says in other sources that another reason why women were specifically given Rosh Chodesh as a, as a, as a, as a holiday is because of their dedication in the, the building, in, in, in the craftsmanship of the, of the tabernacle, and specifically in spinning the story that we had before, in spinning the goat's wool. On the goat, right? It says another source gives two reasons. One, because they didn't participate in the golden calf, and one, because they were so dedicated that they spun the wool. I don't mean to be a blind man, but it just seems to me like women would not care to give up their but we see no, no 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 but you have to understand we have to understand something that's why there's context we have you already have the answer the answer is on the handout what's the answer someone tell me the answer. I don't want to say the answer someone to say the answer we already have the answer we already read the answer what was the answer no the question is specifically maybe they didn't want to give up their jewelry what's the answer you already had the answer there's no hesitation for the women to give up precious things like their own mirrors when it was a worthy cause. The women had no problem giving up things that were dear to them, right? That meant a lot to them, that were personal items. We, don't, we had that text. In other words, it wasn't about what they were giving up. It was what they were giving up to or for. So that's the key point. It was a very good question. But we see that when you take a look at the bigger picture, they had no problem contributing to the, tab- to the tabernacle what God said to do, what Hashem said to do. Build a tabernacle, contribute. They had no problem. They gave up everything. They gave up whatever, you know, things that were dear to them, their own mirrors. Imagine the sentimental value of those mirrors that they used under those apple trees in Egypt with the husbands, right? That's really something you want to share with the kids. Right? It's like, this is the mirror. Well, anyway, but the point is that, whatever. Anyway, so the point is that they even gave up these mirrors so they had no problem giving up things that meant a lot to them, the things that were dear to them. No problem. When it came to the golden calf, they didn't, they didn't contribute. And again, in every source, there's not, it's not like a source that, yeah, there's one source that says, every source, it's clear. The women did not agree to give it over because they were completely opposed. They were not involved in the golden calf. They, 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 um, that's what I'm looking for. They protested the sin of the golden calf completely. Good. And so it says in this merit, and in the merit of their dedication in spinning the goat's wool on the goat, is they, they received the holiday of Rosh Chodesh. Okay, good. Alright. So uh, the obvious question is, what's the obvious question? Someone hook me up with a question. What question do you have? Well, I have a question, but I don't know if it's the obvious question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to you it's the obvious question. But Let's hear your question. It feels, it feels almost patronizing. It's like uh, yeah. going, alright, you women, I'm going to give you this holiday, and the rest of the holidays to the men. No, 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 no. The holidays are for men and women. What we're saying here is that the women get a special and additional measure and fusion of Rosh Chodesh holiday observance because of the special thing. Not patronizing at all. But what's the obvious question? 
Give me, give me another. It was a good question. Give me another question. No, that's an, that's his question. I want. Give me something obvious. What? That's it. Simple question. What's the connection? They, so they did some. They did something amazing. Their dedication to Hashem. Oh, hold on. Yeah, but why Rosh Chodesh? You give anything, any mitzvah. But what? But what's? So we're gonna have to. So we're, so we're gonna have to get to the energy of, of of the feminine, the feminine energy, the energy of Rosh Chodesh, the energy of of the moon, the energy of the month. And when we put all this together, we're gonna understand the connection between them. But first, I want to take a question. Is <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they didn't give up their jewelry at that moment considered yet another time when they moved the Jewish people forward? Absolutely. You know, they didn't, if the Jewish people didn't get erased. Absolutely, absolutely. If they if they would have been fully on board, I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows what would have happened? Anyway, so let's yeah. Go. Oh, this is going to be a great, this is a great question. Hold the question. We're going to get astrological. Okay? We're going to get astrological. It has to do with Taurus. It has to do with Taurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get there. In this chat, in chat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taurus, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sign. We're going, to get, we're going to get there. Hold on, we're going to get there. That's not, I don't want to jump ahead. I don't want to jump ahead. Yeah. Another thing that strikes me is that Obviously, there was a discussion that was happening between these men and women. There wasn't just a sort of, you know, give up your mirrors. Well, for what? You know, uh, right. give up your, give me your earrings. Right. What? You right. Know? So that establishes a certain dynamic also. The Jewish woman has never been weak. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I don't mean that in it. Huh? Has never been weak, has never been. That's right. From, from the first couple, the first Jew, I mean, before, Abraham and Sarah. They have a question over what did they spoke with us on Rosh Hashanah, even last week. They don't, you know, I mean, maybe there's more elaboration, but it doesn't say there was a big discussion, and then they, it's just real obvious, you know, it's all sort of subject. Yeah, it's all subjects, yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to speak about something else. I mean, related, obviously. The idea of faith versus trust. Because what we see here, and you'll see what, what we find here is a strong, very strong, um, Again, I'm going to leave this word out uh, from the women. But what, what is it? Is it faith or is it trust? Well, is there a difference? I, I, I posit there's a difference, but I want to see how we as a group define faith and define trust. How do you define faith? I think it's when you believe in something without proof, without previous, not necessarily... Mm-hmm. As faith. Yeah, I think it's when you believe in something without having had um, proof um, of previous behaviors necessarily. That's faith. Yes. Faith is like somewhat of a leap, right. somewhat of a. Right. Okay, and trust. It's, it's something you earned. Trust is earned. Trust is earned. Okay, what else? Oh, so I, I like that because I like the second. I think it's inner, certainly, but I like the knowing part. Whereas faith, whereas, what, what would faith be? Okay, okay, good. I think, too, for me, I use faith more connected with Hashem and trust more with people that don't know. Okay, why is that? Um, Let's explore why that trust, is. To me, trust is based, like you said, on knowing, like there's been some experience, and so now, like with another person, so now I trust them, like there's something that comes before it, whereas faith, like 
God may do something I totally don't understand, but if I still, but I can still have faith. Whereas if a person doesn't do does something I don't, you know, understand, why they act that way, I might lose trust. I, I don't know. Did the women have trust in God or faith in God? Faith. Faith. You know what do you have? Oh, okay, no, I tell you, yeah, okay. Yeah. This sounds like trust to me, because trust sounds like a relationship, you know, previous experience. This doesn't sound like, you know, uh, you know the, the relationship we had before, so... Good, good. I, I'll tell you the Hebrew words for this. There's a Hebrew word called emuna. Emuna is faith. Bitachon is trust. Two different words. Emuna and bitachon. Emuna is faith. Bitachon is trust. Bitachon, yeah. Faith is faith. That's a great translation, right? <laughs> faith is faith. Trust is trust. All right. Faith is, I have faith. I believe, right? I have faith. And it's something that I can't explain. And it's something that I can't understand. But it's something I believe in. And I can believe in very strongly. But it's something that's outside. It's almost like beyond what I can't understand. It's higher than the rational. Trust can also be higher than, but it's something that is so true to me and so deep that there's not a question in my mind that I trust in this. You see the difference? Trust means I have such confidence. not faith. I believe, I have faith. You know what faith is? You know what, I'll tell you what faith is. Faith is when everyone gathers to pray for rain, right? And the rabbi says, where's your umbrella? Faith is, you see what happened there? Faith is, when you have faith, but did you really trust that it was going to happen? Did you know, did you, let's use, no, knowledge. Did you know it was, trust means you know it's going to happen. How, what is it? So when the rabbi asked about the umbrella, was that faith or trust? The rabbi is saying, if you really believe that through the prayers it's going to rain, so how come you didn't bring umbrellas to walk back to your car? Because you didn't really trust. You had faith, you didn't trust. If you had trust, if you knew it was going to happen, it would be a little bit different. So faith is when you hope I want to be a little bit careful because I don't want to slam faith completely. Because faith is also has value. But there's a little bit of a different energy there. You know what? You know what our money used to say in the 50s? You know what I heard recently? What? Does anybody remember? What did, what did money used to say on it? No, used to. Mind your business. Do you know that? Look, mind your. Look it up. Mind your business. I believe on coins that changed in the early 1900s, late 1800s, and bills that changed. You can you can Google this. Mind your business. I believe so. Oh, you see. Again, the difference between faith and trust. Yeah. I don't know if you should trust this. I believe I'm right. Someone, someone check me. Someone check. We have instant communication. John's on it. Okay, good. Let me know. Let me know if this checks out. Huh? I'm just curious. I heard many years ago in an acronym for, for faith. Yeah. Which ties the both of them to me together and always has. Yeah. And they, what it was is that faith in an acronym was fantastic adventure and trusting him. 
good. I, so I'm with you. I'm with you. But that's that's kind of blurring the lines. I think. But in Hebrew, specifically, there's two different energies. There's emuna, and then there's bitachon. Faith is. Yeah, I have faith that it's going to come through. Trust means you're waiting on the corner because you know it's going to happen. Trust means you are you're writing the check because you know it's. Faith is. I'm hoping. Faith is. I believe. I believe. I strongly believe. But it's still belief. Trust means I, I'm believing. I know. It's a de- it's 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 not it's no question. You know you're you're counting on it. You're counting on it, and, and and that's why a lot of the responses back came. Well, I can have one for God and one for people, because when people live up to their commitments, I trust them. God, I don't know. I haven't seen God lately. Now again, there's a way to have trust in God as well. That's the deepest. That's the deepest form, is to trust, to have bitachon in Hashem. Have to, to not only have faith in God, God will, I hope God will deliver. Does that, is it just a check out? Um, 1787, it says that the Continental Congress of the Confederation, on the first penny below the sundial, it said, mind your business. Uh, oh. <laughs> I believe that in Bills, I Wikipedia did it before, uh, I was thinking about maybe speaking about it over Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Anyway, taking back the curtain. So I, be- I Wikipedia, I believe in the 50s. That was still on bills. Yeah, some scholars believe that this was intended as advice to business owners, but if they're yeah, yeah. it blows the whole premise of this article, so I, I haven't read the article. No, no, I believe, well, no, that article might be taking an angle on it. I, from what I understood, it was, mind your business means, not in a negative way, not like, not, yeah, it means like, oh, yeah, mind was, you know, back then, back in the day, mind meant something good. Anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't a negative, it was, it was a positive, it was like, you know, take care, take care of your, your good stuff. I just thought of something. Trust can be broken, but can real faith be broken? Ah, okay, good. So, that's, can, trust can be broken. We know trust can be broken. Can faith be broken? You see, but that reflects, in a sense, the knowing, right? It almost like the, the negative reflects the positive. Because trust is so, is so real, faith is, since it's still a little abstract, so you can still, I still, uh, you could, you could still get out of it. Trust, though, so I asked the question before. Oh, and so I was saying that's why I think that it's harder to find trust with for uh, for us to kind of associate trust with Hashem, trust with God, because even though it's on the bills, we know yeah the money says easy for the money, right? So in God we trust, but I will tell you that our founding mothers, as a people, trusted in God. That's why they weren't afraid. Pharaoh's decrees. Pharaoh's decrees. We're undaunted by it, said the women. The men are being the men have faith. You know what faith is? Faith is, yeah, we believe that God is going to somehow figure it out. But until then, we're not having kids. God will figure it out. God will make a plan B. The decree will be annulled, something will straighten out, whatever will resume when, you know, when possible. That's faith. Faith is, no, Judaism will survive, but it's going to happen. It's, somehow it's going to work out. It's God will make it happen. You know what trust is? Trust is, uh-uh. Trust is, I know, there's no issue. Trust is, we have such confidence in God. We're going to have more children. We're going to build a nation. We're not serving a golden calf. It's trust, not faith. You see the difference? Yeah. If I think about it, faith is something that even if, uh, you, you probably said this already, but even if it doesn't come even if it doesn't happen, even if it doesn't, faith is sort of this nebulous, more nebulous to me, whereas trust, because it can be broken, 
to maintain your trust in something, to vow, it's almost like trust has, trust is about a decision that you make to continue to trust even if it hasn't Right, and that's the point, that trust, even though it can be broken, it can still be maintained even when you don't immediately see the results. In other words, even when you don't see, you have to trust. No, you don't have to. But trust means, I trust that this is... There's two statements from, our, from the Talmud. One is a statement of, it will be good. And then there's another statement of, it is good. There's a difference. One is, one is faith and one is trust. It will be good as faith. I have faith it will be good. Trust means I trust, I know it's good. I know it's good now. Even if I can't see it, I know it's good. I know it's good. There's no doubt in my mind it's good. It's possible to achieve. It's possible to attain. It's very difficult. It's possible. We should strive to it, ideally. But my point of all of this is that what the, the, the model said in all of these stories is a model of trust over and above faith. And it, who, I was just, just going to say that faith can be misguided. You know, um, Pharaoh, you know, the, the Egyptians had faith in their system. You know, right. And a lot of terrorists have faith in what, they, what they're doing. They 100%. The whole yeah. Some can't even trust. This faith and trust are things that can be completely, look like everything. Like everything in existence, every feeling, every thought, every action, every creation could be used for one side, could be used for another side. Be used to heal and to and to, to create life. It could be used for the opposite. So that's uh, that's part of the challenge. It's part of the challenge of life is to make sure to utilize these powerful gifts, tools for a proper way. To have trust. Sometimes I trust. I, it's not only faith. I know that if I, God forbid, that if Whatever it is, that at on the other side is going to be waiting for me this amazing. I was just, you know, whenever growing up we learned about the golden calf and such, yeah. the, the other discussion was always, you know, didn't they remember that the seas parted and all these miracles happened? Is it, assume, is it assumed that the women seem to connect into those memories better than the men? Yes. In other words, we're going to be posing the question very shortly on page uh, 24 where you see where it says incomprehensibility of the sin of the golden calf. The questions will be asked right there. How was it possible? I mean, you can, we understand that the women did not bless you, Tsukuzun. Tsukuzun. We understand that the, that, the, that the Jewish women were not involved, but how could even the like, it doesn't make, the story doesn't make sense. Like, how is that possible that they, could, that they could fall into such a golden calf? And they said, this is the God. I don't, I, we'll leave the question for the question. But yeah, 100%. And the idea is that for some reason, the women, the Jewish women, were not susceptible to that confusion to that to that situation to that energy and it reflects something profound about the very nature of feminine energy according to Kabbalah and, 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 and Judaism and that's what we're going to that's going to help us uh, really get to get to the crux of the issue but I just wanted to point out the, the distinction between faith and trust before we move further understanding that what's at stake here is not just a faith yeah God will figure it out because God figures it out I'm not I'm not uh, under the apple tree because right? God will figure it out. I have faith in God. I trust. I trust that if I'm doing the right thing, it's going to work out. I know it's going to work out. There's no. There's no. There's no. I don't see the obstacle, in, in a sense. Um, since we talked before about this whole thing about being more about feminine energy than about women, would we say that Aaron 
was more connected with his own feminine energy? Or, the men, or were there men there that did go along with the women because they were more connected with the women? So, yeah, not all men were involved in the golden calf. Um, and those, the idea, as we're, we'll explain as we go through this process, the idea of not following golden calf is a feminine energy. Following golden calf is a masculine energy. And we'll see why soon. So what, it's not purely man and woman. Exactly. It's not purely man and woman. Although no women were involved. As I said, no women were involved in this in the golden calf. All right, let's, um, let's, do the fi- let's round this discussion out with a question. 22 into 24. And then next week we're going to pick it up with the, the question about the golden calf and also segue into chapter 2. So let's, uh, let's continue. Um, Steve, continue please. This seems, this seems to contradict the philosophy principle that women are exempt from performing time-based positive commandments. So here we introduce a concept that women are paturim, they are, they are not obligated to perform mitzvot ase, mitzvot ase shehazman grama. Positive commandments that are time-sensitive. In other words, the understanding is like this. There are certain mitzvot that can only happen between the hours of, let's say, 6.30 and 9.15 in the morning. The Shema. The Shema, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> You'll take a biblical uh, mitzvot for 200. Right. <laughs> you have to phrase it in the form of a question, though. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What is, what is the Shema? Anyway, no, very good. So the Shema, you can only recite it in a certain window. So here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. Women, of course, are allowed to do the mitzvah. And if women do it, it is a mitzvah. But there's no obligation to do a mitzvah to the point that if you didn't do the mitzvah, it would be a lacking or a... Uh, I don't know what use it. It would be a held... A lapse. Right? It's not considered a lapse. It's because it, the understanding of at least the different traditional roles of men and women have it that women are, are absolved not from doing it but from the obligation to perform these mitzvahs. Wait a minute, what about lighting Shabbat candles? That's a time So, right, so we find certain exceptions. And Rosh Chodesh, as we'll see, is also an exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In general, this is... Every rule has exceptions. It was meant to be rugged. Right, so there's three. There's Chala, Tarz Meshbacha, Nida, and, um, and Hadlachas Neros. Yeah. And the word Chana, Chana, the name Chana, Ches Nun Hei, Chala, the mitzvah of, of Chala, the mitzvah of Nerot, Shabbos candles, the mitzvah of... No, no, Nida, sorry, Nida, uh, family purity. The mitzvah had lakat nerot, which is the hey, lighting Shabbat candles. So these are the three. But here we also have Rosh Chodesh. But no, it's a good, very good point. No, it definitely is time constrained. Yeah. Definitely time constrained. And yet it's given to women. In other words, there's a special, with that as well, this text is not focusing on that. There are other texts that focus on that. But there is an energy in candle lighting that is specific, that overrides this principle. But here he asks the question, and really, it's not really a question to, to pose a question. It's really to kind of bring out the fact that, notwithstanding the fact that typically women are not obligated in time based mitzvot, positive mitzvot, the exception here is our Shkodesh because it's so powerfully connected to the feminine energy. Continue. Since Shkodesh is a time based commandment, why should women who are generally, generally relieved of such time based obligations, obligations, yeah, obligations, be more careful in observing it? Rosh Chodesh, we know, it's, you got a certain window, right? Rosh Chodesh is a day, the first day of the month. So you got, what, 24 hours? If there's two days of Rosh Chodesh, sometimes some Jewish months, there's two days of Rosh Chodesh. The 30th, of, it's 
Not all complicated. Thirtieth of the previous month and the first. Anyway, the point is that on Rosh Chodesh it's either twenty-four hours or forty-eight hours, but that's your that's your window. That's your basic Rosh Chodesh window. Beforehand is not Rosh Chodesh. Afterwards is not Rosh Chodesh. You got your window. So he says, if so, so not that women shouldn't be involved in Rosh Chodesh, of course, but they're not. They shouldn't be obligated. Certainly not more than men. Right? In other words, we don't find, again, by candles, it's also like this. But it, he's, he's, just, he's really asking the question to bring out, as I said before a moment ago, how notwithstanding the fact that it is a time-based mitzvah, there is still something about, um, there is still something about uh, Rosh Chodesh that is so intrinsically, inherently connected with feminine energy that, uh, that, it, that it has to be. It has to be something that women are, are, are not exclusive, but women are, are much more uh, involved in. Now, he, in the parentheses, I want to go through this. In the parentheses, it gets into a little bit of a uh, technical halachic discussion. Whether or not Rosh Chodesh is indeed a time-based mitzvah. Okay? Right? Is Rosh Chodesh a time-based mitzvah? So I said before, why is it time-based? Because it's only 24 hours or 48 hours. It's a, there's, a certain, there's a start time and a stop time. It's a long start and stop time, number one. Number two... It seems like historically, or at least the way the mitzvah is, is uh, described in, uh, in Jewish law, it has nothing to do with time. Let's read the parentheses, 24. As for the fact that the new moon used to be sanctified according to the testimony of witnesses rather than according to astronomic calculations. He, this is a question. He says, wait a second, Rosh Chodesh is not time-based. It's not like when this time kicks in, it's Rosh Chodesh, and when this time kicks out, it's end of Rosh Chodesh. That's not how it works. Rosh Chodesh is based on witnesses Jewish law, the Talmud tells us, Halakha, the Shulchanan tells us, the Code of Jewish law tells us that how would it work? Okay, first of all, what does it mean, the new moon? Right? What's the new moon? The new moon. What's the new moon? When did the moon get old? No, that's full moon. What happens is like this. From our perspective, the moon waxes and wanes. So in its waning period, from the, and the Jewish month is, is according to the moon, the cycle of the moon, the visible cycle of the moon. So the 15th day of every Jewish month, is a full moon. That's if you if you're operating on the Jewish calendar, Tesvav, the fifteenth day of the month, is always the moon at its fullness. From the fifteenth and on, it wanes. It gets it looks begins to look smaller and smaller and smaller until it almost disappears. And then it cycles back into getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At the moment that it diminishes to the point that you can't see it in the sky anymore. The, the next moment, the next, the next opportunity, a day or two, whatever, when it comes back, you could see it again, that's Rosh Chodesh. So what happened was, back in the day, in Jerusalem, witnesses came. The way Rosh Chodesh was designated is witnesses came to the temple, and they gave testimony. And they said, yes, we saw the moon. And the court, it was a court issue. The court said, what did the moon look like? Where were you standing? Was it good lighting? Are you sure it wasn't a UFO? Right? All of these important questions. Right? How do you know it was the moon and not uh, you know, someone playing Frisbee, someone playing Ultimate? Right? How do you know what was going on? Glow in the darks type thing. So what did it look like? Two witnesses that were vetted and verified and checked and cross-examined. If that all signed off, Bezdin, the court designated, yes, Today is Rosh Chodesh. Let's understand that testimony happened when the court opened, which was during the day. So they had a look at the night. Witnesses at night, the next morning they came to the court, they testified, and that day was designated Rosh Chodesh, and the, uh, the proclamation went out across the land. Okay, make sense? But it's not, but it's not, it's not time-based in the sense of a certain time kicks it in. It's witness, testimony of witnesses kicks it in. 
It's not, it's not based on time, it's based on testimony. You see the difference? Yeah, but I guess I thought that we were absolved of things having to happen at a certain... But the technical idea is that when time is the trigger, then that's, that's, what, that's the definition. When time is the trigger. So time is not the trigger here. That's the question that he's asking. So he says, why? So he says wait, so I, the question that he just asked was, why are women more involved with Rosh doesn't seem like an obligation, it's time-based. He says, well, wait a second, it's not time-based at all. It's testimony-based. So he says, he gives an answer. We are familiar. We are familiar with the statement in the Mishnah that the determination of the new moon was also based upon calculation. In other words, yeah, they, had the wit- they needed the witnesses to show up in court, but it was also based on astronomical charts. Continue. The testimony of witnesses who had actually seen the Molad. Molad means the birth, like Holada, Vlad, uh, Leda, birth, the birth of the moon, this theoretical birth of the moon. Necessary only as in other words, they knew, they didn't know. We know, we have Jewish calendars, we have calendars for the next thousand years. We know exactly when, to the minute, to the second. When, there was lots of smart uh, people back in the day, even today, that were able to figure out when exactly, all the charts and everything, when exactly the Molid, when exactly the new moon. In fact, and every, come to Shul, every Shabbos Mavarchim, the Shabbat before Rosh Chodesh, and in Shul we announce exactly when the new moon will be born, when the Molad will be. Exa- we do it in Yiddish and then in English. It's the tradition. It's Chabad tradition. We say, the Molad Zayin, the Molad will be, the new moon will be born, or again, born. Um, Tuesday, 5.34 a.m. and 12 Chalakim, 12 parts. They don't use seconds, we use Chalakim, parts of a minute. Anyway, yeah. So, can testify. So we have here... You trust. Oh, you can trust. No, that's not faith. <laughs> this last sentence says that Rosh is indeed a time Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on one second. So we have here, so we have charts. So it's a saying that like this. Even though they needed the witness testimony, there were still charts. They knew when Rosh Chodesh was. The best in the court didn't know when Rosh Chodesh was. They knew that today was Rosh Chodesh. They couldn't proclaim it. Until you have the two witnesses. By the way, we don't do that today because we don't have uh, a Bezdin, we don't have Sanhedrin, we don't have the same courts as they had in the day. We don't have a temple, etc. So it's not. It's now completely based, actually he's going to say that in a second. It's completely based on calculation. But the point is, even then, that it was based on testimony, it was also based on calculation. Continue, furthermore. Furthermore, in our day, when the new moon is not established by testimony of witnesses, we depend solely upon calculation. As such, Rosh Kodesh is indeed a time-based so he said, so I, he wanted to ask. Again, it's a little bit of a Talmud of He said, I, maybe it's not time-based because it's witness-based. He says, not even witness-based, it's time-based. And today we don't have witnesses anyway, so it's completely time-based. Therefore, the question that he asked still stands again. It's not a question question, but it's, a, it's an insight question. The question is, if it's time-based, so then why is it specifically for women? And the point is that it's so intrinsically, inherently, essentially, bound, Rosh Chodesh, bound to the energy, the feminine energy, the energy of of. The feminine energy, that's why it's, it's, it's been given more to women than men. Yeah. Remind us, you were going to a minute ago, why the women are generally exempt from the time-based ones. Yeah, in general, it's because the obligate, well, they're not exempt from the midst of the, from the obligation to do it. Because the understanding is that the obligation means that there's no, there are no excuses to get out of it. In other words, if you, if you didn't do it, it's, it's considered, what was the word we had before? It's considered a lapse. The idea is that the traditional roles of men and women, with a, a woman perhaps being a mother having a young child, etc. So there's an idea of you know a nursing mother or a pre- there's no you don't have the obligation to have to do it. Because the obligation to the child might trump it. hundred percent. The obligation to the child might trump it. So therefore, there's no obligation. Now, if in a situation where that's not an issue, so of course there's a method to do it, but it's still not a chiyuv. 
The idea, there's two issues. I'm using Hebrew ter- ter- halacha terminology. There's something called a chiyuv, which means, it's not like mitzvah, there's mitzvah, which is a commandment, but then there's a chiyuv, which means you have to do it. There's an obligation to do it. So they didn't get so specific to say, well, between these times. So whip. And again, it's only positive mitzvahs that are, time, that are triggered by time and time-based. But again, even those, a woman can do it. So a woman is not obligated. It's not, it's not held against her if she, if she doesn't do it, if she can't do it. That's the point. Um, whereas a guy, we say there's no excuses. You've got to do it. Figure it out. Um, so that's... Anyway... Right, so, okay, so that's with that. But the point is that we find by Rosh Chodesh, and again, by, by candles, it's a good point, that women, even though they're time-based, the women are still obligated, and the obligation actually is a greater obligation than that of men. And the question is, why? What does it, ta- what does it teach us? Um, any other questions before we close out? Yeah, John. Wouldn't it have been time-based back in the day, too, because sometimes it would have been cloudy? So if it was cloudy, they couldn't declare it. They couldn't call it. It's a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, very good question. They knew when it was. They couldn't call it if it wasn't if it was cloudy. They'd have to push it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh? But the next month would correct itself, hopefully. Right? The next the next month would correct itself because they would still see the moon. It's not like it would push off this, the calendar. You see, because the next month, if it's clear, it would show up when it needs to. That's the power. Even when you couldn't see. But, hi, but again, if there's a moon in the sky and you can't see it because there are clouds, is there really a moon in the sky? That's, all, that's also part of it, yeah. So you asked a little while ago, why Rosh Kodesh? Like, why this holiday? Yes. Where I really fully landed. Like, why this Oh, we haven't answered that. Oh, Yo, that's... No, 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 no. This is going to be the open question. This is the beauty of where we're going with this. The question is, again, a few questions. First of all, why, how does it make sense that there's an obligation more here if it's time-based? But the overarching question, really, the big question is, yeah, they demonstrated faith and trust. Feminine. The book is called Feminine Faith. It really should have been called Feminine Trust, in my opinion. But it just doesn't have the alliteration. Did they ask me about this name? I may have... They did ask me. I have to look back at my emails to see what I... What I, and I did. Maybe this is my title. I don't know. I'm not sure if it is. Anyway, but, huh? Yeah. This is my series. You know that. I didn't know the whole series was I knew that you had edited Anyway, so, so, anyway, so the point is that, uh, that we see the faith. We see the trust. The question is, so what's with Rosh Chodesh? What's the connection? So we have the moon. We have the, we're going to get into all of this. We're going to see how, anyway, I'm not going to give it too much away. This is, this is the journey we're on. And we continue it next week when we talk about the sin of the golden calf and figure out what were the men thinking. Then we get... And what, what... It's worth coming back just for that. What were the men thinking? And again, but I also want to caution... So wait, wait, a few, before everyone leaves, a few, a few points of caution. First of all, about the topic. I don't want this to be the idea of one is greater, one is less. I want to, be, I want to maintain a perspective here, which is that there are pros, there are... There, there is value in, in, in all energies. Every energy of God, every creative energy, a masculine energy, a feminine energy, all has tremendous virtue. We're going to see, though, how certain energies lend themselves to certain things, certain good things, and perhaps other energies lend themselves to certain um, challenges. But again, not, it's not a sentence here, a sentence there. These are things that, that are just lend themselves to different areas. That's number one. Number two, also, I just want to mention, next week we get into 
the theological chapter chapter two twenty eight the theological argument for idolatry. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever wanted to have a good argument for why we should serve idols, come next week. Okay, theological argument for idolatry. It's fascinating stuff. It gets into the history of mankind itself. It's unbelievable. The discussion next week. Come back next week. Join us for that. What were the men thinking? Can we serve idols? Does this make sense or not? Next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Now, a few quick announcements. Um, first of all, if anybody is not yet receiving the emails about the weekly class, please um, ask Joanne. Joanne, raise your hand. Joanne. Um, ironically, with Joanne on your name tag. So it kind of works out. So speak with Joanne. Joanne will hook you up with the, um, the Kabbalah Coffee class list so that you know when there's class. We have class most weeks. Um, but when there won't be class, uh, if that happens, and what the topic will be, and all that good stuff. I'd also like to thank Jan. Thank you, Jan, for sponsoring this week's um, uh, spread. Thank you. It's good to not be fasting again. And what else do I want to mention? Oh, very important. Yeah, yeah we're going to mention that in a second. Very important. Next week. So first of all, okay, here, here's, here's how it's working. This week, this week Wednesday night, is the beginning of the festival of Sukkot. I love this month. This is the best month. It's like, there's an old Hasidic saying, is bring your suitcase. Literally. Bring your suitcase and pack in all the energies of the month. Literally. And then throughout the rest of the year, unzip it and whenever you need, we'll draw from some of that. But literally, bring your suitcase, come in and just, just, just immerse. Just, it's such an amazing time of year. We have Sukkot, which is a festival of joy. It's the Man festival of joy. Beginning Wednesday night, there's a biblical mitzvah to eat in the sukkah, the first night of Sukkot, to help everyone do this. Everyone is invited to the sukkah of Rabbi Shusterman. I'll tell him right afterwards that I'm invited. I'm kidding. Yeah, everyone is invited to the Shusterman sukkah. The Shustermans and the Solishes, uh, we, our family and their family, are hosting community. We're blowing it out to everybody. In a good, uh, to, every, invited for sushi and sake. What's sake? What is it? You don't just drink it. Do you just drink it? You do drink it? It's not like you dip your sushi. It's not like soy sauce. I've, I've told this story before. I have a friend. Are we still on mic here? That's awesome. It's okay. It's also okay. I have a friend whose grandmother in South Africa, I, I told this story once, she thought there was a first time sushi. First time sushi. Thought the wasabi was... Yeah, 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 this happened. This happened. Your grandmother, a bubby, and she she takes a big bite of it, and it wasn't, I mean, she's okay. I think she's still alive. I mean, I'm sure. That's not bad. I mean, she survived. But, like, to imagine that, like, just taken for a loop. It's like the first time I, I drank Everclear. Does anybody know what Everclear is? Oh, yeah. I was, it was in 770. You know 770, the shul. If you want to look what 770 looks like. Shul is Shabbos. A friend of mine was getting married the next week, so it was a kiddush, offer of whatever. Same lechaim. So he points to two bottles. Hey, I'll take a little lechaim. Say a little lechaim. So he's like, this one or this one? I'm like, whatever. He pours it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't Who's reading the bottles? It was that Everclear is a 96% alcohol. It's 96%. They call it in Yiddish, which means 6 and 90. 96%. I told the story about the guy who drank it's 96% all of his life. Yeah, Chassan, old Russian Chassan, drank and drank and drank. No, but no, no, he's good, no, he's healthy, he's fine. But later on in life, he couldn't, his, his leg was hurting him, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you have fluid in your knee. He says, what's fluid? Water. He's like, I knew that 4% would get me. <laughs> you like that one? I knew that 4% would come back to bite me where it counts. <laughs> anyway, getting back, so, so wasabi, 
come, Wednesday, everyone's invited Wednesday night anytime from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And you know what, even longer, I'll probably be hanging out there longer. Robert. Just, well, he lives there, so he's there for sure. So 990 St. Charles, 990 St. Charles, right around the corner, St. Charles and Frederick, like literally, if you go out to the alley, make a quick left, make a quick right, he's right there in the house. Campus at 990 St. Charles, Wednesday night. Come join us. We'll say a blessing in the sukkah. Special time. Eat, schmooze. Stay as long as you want. Come whenever you want. It's very casual. It's just about literally eating and doing the mitzvah in the sukkah and just schmoozing. That's Wednesday night. We also have upcoming Sunday this fabulous Sukkot festival. Fun for the whole family. Food, music, video game party, crafts, uh, concerts, uh, shake the little Vanessa to the mitzvah. Anyway, fun for the whole family. Um, this is coming up next week. Uh, from today. However, and, and, and Steve is going to speak about this. Yes, if you, if you like kids or if you just want to make sure where all the kids are on Sunday so they're in one place, um, Sunday, October 16th, we need help volunteers to run some of the booths and help clean up and help set up here at Chabad. So if you're interested in giving an hour to do that, it's a fun way to do it and very easy. And uh, just let me know after this. And, I'll and it will be after the class. It's after the class. 11, well, start with the Hebrew school kids starting from 11. It's blown open to the public from 12 o'clock. From 12 o'clock, 12 to 2.30. So it's a, it's a long day. So and one more thing. I just want to mention one more thing quickly. Huh? You have, oh, well, let me just, because it's Sunday. I want to speak about Sunday. Na- the, Sunday, sa- the same day, the 16th of, of October. It's not capitalized. The, yeah. <laughs> we did that. 16th of October. So next week in the evening, 7.30 p.m., please join us for our annual, it's a wonderful, it's a fun time, annual screen in the green. Yeah, they can do screen on the green. That's, that's so been done before. We do screen in the green. Of course, the green sukkah. Right? The green are sustainable hot for Sukkot. Green sukkah, we have a film screening of Jews and baseball. Oh, it's, oh, it's a great film. It's a, an amazing film. If you've seen it, come again and give away the ending. Kidding. If you haven't seen it, next week, $5. It's cut, free to come to the movie. $5 refreshment fee. Let me know. There's, you can sign up. And by the way, all of our new courses and programs for the upcoming year for the fall and into the winter are on our website, intownjewishacademy.org. So sign up. Let me know. We have to set up the chairs and, the, and, and uh, make sure we have enough space for everybody. Um, there's the limited seating because the sukkah is finite. Um, we've done this for a few years and had just an amazing turnout. So please tell your friends. It's a really fun evening. It's for adults. 7.30 p.m. next week. Jews and baseball. Film screening. Please join us. And join. you have a quick announcement? And yeah, then a quick announcement. Um, Rabbi Shushman advised me that we need some volunteers tomorrow night just for like an hour from 6 to 7 